I'm kind of like Terry. I don't talk a lot because every time I start to talk, I cry. So I just won't say a lot. But um, Jacob Littrell said something earlier. It just blessed my heart. He said, when he thought about the things that hell was going to be, it made him long that much more to be in heaven. And that's the song God's laid on my heart this morning. I hope it blesses yours. Of a mighty rushing wind, and it's closer now than it's ever been. I can almost hear the trumpet as Gabriel sounds the call at the midnight cry we'll be going home when Jesus steps out on a cloud to call his children Prophecies fulfilling and signs of the times, they're appearing everywhere. I can almost hear the Father. The bride of Christ will rise when Jesus steps out on a cloud to call his children. The dead in Christ shall
the midnight cry. When Jesus comes again, and then those that remain will be quickly changed at the midnight cry. When Jesus comes again. Thank you, Brother Terry. I appreciate that. I sound like I'm on. So can you hear me? This is yes. This is no. This is my hearing aid batteries are dead. No, just kidding. Just kidding. It is good to be with you this morning. I appreciate Brother Sammy uh, calling me a couple of three weeks ago and asking me to come. I started to tell you that y'all may not may believe what Kyle said, but he's really not in Prattville this morning. He's actually in New Orleans for the Super Bowl. <laughs> he called me Friday and he said, uh, said Brother Al, said, you're going to still be able? I said, yes, sir, I'll be there with bells on, unless. I said, you know somebody that's got a couple of free tickets to the Super Bowl to give away? And he said, well, how come? I said, because I'm in New Orleans for a conference right now. And I said, I have a motel room that if I give it up, I'm in trouble. But if I don't give it up, I've got it made. But uh, he told me, he said, no, I said, I didn't give mine away. So, <laughs> no, just kidding, just kidding. I appreciate the young people coming and sharing with you uh, this morning. And, and uh, I know that's tough because... They have been in that part of the country, eastern Tennessee, western Carolina, for the last few weeks have had quite a bit of rain, a lot more than we have. Uh, don't know if you're aware of it, but 330-something foot of the roadway, 441, going over Newfound Gap, is gone. Uh, about 150 feet of Cheerhouse Skyway, uh, one outside lane, is gone. And my grandson, uh, the school where he's going, washed the bridge out. That's no big deal. There's other bridges can get in there. But the sewer line was attached to the bridge. So they're going to school at the middle school with porta potties and having to walk across to the, to the elementary school to eat. And he said, I just hold it till I get to the elementary school. He said, it's too cold in porta potties. <laughs> But uh, I, can, I can imagine, I'll be honest with you. But I do appreciate the young people and, and their coming and sharing. It's always great when, when they get a, a catch a fire and catch a, a vision for what God wants to do in their life. Because like they say, you look around, we're getting gray-headed, folks. Uh, now, that's good and that's bad. The bad part about that is, is it's terrible to get old. Of course, you know what the definition of an old person is, don't you? An old person is somebody who's at least 10 years older than you are. 
Because when I was about 10 years old, when I was 12, my mother was 30. I thought she had one foot in the grave and one on a banana peel. I mean, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, she's just ancient. Man, 30 looks wonderful. 60 is not bad. 70 ain't looking real bad right now. You know, so I'm just thinking, praise the Lord for, for that. But I appreciate that because they will be our leaders one day. And you pray for them. They go through a lot of stuff that you and I did not have a clue when we were teenagers that we would be faced with. So you just, you just pray for them. And when I got to thinking about what God laid on my heart this week, and my wife said, have you got your sermon ready for, for Sunday? I said, yeah. I said, God's already laid it on my heart. And I, I thought to myself, well, you know, I wonder sometimes. But then after listening to these young people this morning, I see where God wanted me to go. And, uh, and I think that's, that's per, probably pretty well in line. So I want you to turn with me this morning in your Bible to the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. want to read a particular verse, a couple of verses of Scripture. Some of you could probably quote this better than I could. Uh, you've seen it. You've heard it. I'm probably not going to share anything new with you this morning that is going to be earth-shaking. But I've learned a long time ago, we learn by repetition. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of what God says. Paul, in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans... And the first and second verse says these words. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, if we stop right there, we could camp all day on that particular part. But Paul has a purpose in this, because if you look on it, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. In the 30-something years that I've been in the ministry, one of the things that I found is that people have a, a great respect and yet a great fear of the will of God. I've had people look at me and say, Preacher, you can absolutely cannot know what the will of God is. I said, well... If that's so, then why did God lie to us? And they said, oh, wait a minute, God doesn't lie. I said, well, what does it say right there in the last part of verse 2? That you may know, that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants us to know the will, His will for our life. That's what these young people are searching for right now. They're looking, but I got news for you. There's some 60-year-olds that are searching for the will of God in their life. There's some 50-year-olds and some 40-year-olds and some 30-year-olds and some 20-year-olds that are searching for the will of God in their life. So what can we glean from, from these scriptures? What does Paul sort of tell us here about what the will of God is? Because that's what he's wrapping up here when he begins that. Well, if you'll, if you'll look at this passage, one of the first things you'll notice is Paul pleads with them 
to go in a new direction or a different direction. Notice what he says. He says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. In other words, I ask you, I beg you, I plead with you to let's look at going in the direction that God wants us to go. You see, the will of God always leads us toward Him. And when we start going in that direction, when we start understanding what God wants us to do, we can understand what our purpose is. Now, I know that you know you can come up with 101 different purposes for God's life for you. But I'm talking about an overall purpose is that we have a relationship with Him, that we follow Him, and that we do His will. Now that's, you can put a lot of little caveats into that, but there's a, you just understand that's the basics of it all. And when Paul begins here, notice what he says. He says that you what? Present your bodies. In other words, you give that. I'm afraid too many times as Baptists, we don't give much to God. We go kicking and screaming. We used to laugh in seminary about pe people tithing. And we had a preacher one time, and, and, and I won't call names, but uh, he told us one day, in, we were talking about tithing and giving in the Old Testament. And he said something about, he said, well, he preached on tithing. And he promoted tithing. He said, but I just can't afford to tithe. And I thought to myself, now son, if that's not hypocrisy, I don't know what is. And we laugh about the fact that when you baptize folks, you ought to hold them down, put their wallet in their pocket and hold them down until they holler tithe. <laughs> you know, sometimes we want to kick and scream. We, we don't want to be part of that. But you notice here what he says. It's a living sacrifice. It's not dead. In the Old Testament, they, they killed. Matter of fact, the burnt sacrifice was the ultimate sacrifice because you drain the blood from the body. Literally, the life, they cut the throat. They drained the blood from the body. And then they would pile the parts that were dismembered on a huge fire and cremate it. That was a completely, once that animal was given, it was gone. But what Paul says is you're giving your body to God as a sacrifice, but at the same time, it is to be living. It is to be a continual thing that is continually being used for the will of God. Notice what he says about that. He says it's to be a reasonable gift. And it will be accepted. It's what is acceptable unto God. So this new direction is going in with the way in which God wants us to go. The problem is, too many times you and I want to say, well, we just we can't know the will of God, preacher. You know why? We're not willing to pay the price for that. We're not willing to do what God asks us to do in order to be able to do that. What we're wanting to do is to cop out. But you see, God has a will for your life. God has a purpose for your life. Now you say, well, preacher, tell me what it is. And I'll just be perfectly honest with you. I ain't God. Now that may not be English perfect, but that's Winston County English, all right? I don't have a clue. When I first started feeling, and I knew God was calling me to preach. He did it when I was 16 years old. I ran from it for 12 years. When I'm 28, God just keeps on and keeps on and keeps on. He won't let me go. He won't let it off. I just So I went to talk to my preacher. 
I looked at Brother Earl. I sat down across the desk from him. I said, Brother Earl, tell me how it feels to be called to preach. And he looked at me and he said, I don't know. And I'm looking at him like, duh. You've been in the ministry 30-something years and you're looking at me and tell me you don't know how it feels? I went home and told my wife, I said, that's the dumbest preacher I've ever seen in my life. I said, I don't know what he's doing being a pastor. But later on he explained it and I understood what he was saying and I understand more of it now after being in the ministry. But you see, when I tell you it was like fireworks going off. And the lights went dark and, and then all of a sudden there was a bright light and, and I felt like Paul on the Damascus Road. If that didn't happen to you, what would you say? Well, that's not what happened to Brother Al. So it can't be what's happening to me. But you see, God never speaks to people the same way. He calls one in the middle of a field. He calls one on top of the mountain. He calls one in by the riverside. He calls one in the field. It doesn't matter. God's will is still important. And if you look at what uh, Jesus said to us in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he said, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. In other words, we are to give everything to God. And that starts with a decision. But there's a second thing I want you to notice here. That decision calls for, um, calls for a new direction. Notice what he says. He says that do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now you think about that for just a minute. Go back to what I said for just a moment in what Mark 12, 30 says. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You see, it is a physical renewal of the body. It is a spiritual renewal of the mind and of the soul and everything that God asks of us. Amen. And notice here, when you, when you look at it, I mean, you just back, look at what he says. He said it is holy, that is sacrifice. It is acceptable. And it is what? Living. Why? Because everything we have is to be given unto God. Now the problem is, I don't want to give God everything. I want to hold it back. Now I have a wife and two daughters. And I'm going to tell you as a husband and a father, I've learned to squirrel back money. I call it my mad money. My kids come to me and I'll open up my billfold and they'll say, Daddy, we need something. And I, I used to pull out my billfold and say, I don't have a lot. They'll say, that's all right, we'll take it. But I pull out my billfold and I say, look down there, there ain't nothing there. I don't have anything. Why? Because they take it every bit. Women can spend more money faster than anybody I've ever seen. I told him, I said, Lord, I said, you know, right? But let me tell you, folks, if you got teenagers, give heart. Grandkids are God's reward for not kidding your teenager. <laughs> I tell my oldest daughter every once in a while, darling, you see them little three rug rats right there? That's the only reason you're alive today. <laughs> but you see, if I didn't love them with everything that I have, 
have been broke a long time ago. But sometimes we want to hold stuff back for like that. We want to put it back in a different section where we can look at God and say, God, look at my spiritual billfold. I'm bankrupt. I don't have anything. I'm broke. <coughs> but you see, here's the thing. God knows where your mad money is. He says, look in that side pocket behind your driver's license. I see that $50 bill you got in there. I see that $20 bill you got in there. My kids were amazed when they found out one day we were somewhere. They said, I said, well, I said, Daddy's got a little bit of money. Squirrel back. And I pulled out and we stopped and got a hamburger. And my youngest daughter, boy, she's sharp when it comes. She said, uh-huh. I know where Daddy keeps his money now. So the next time she asked me, I said, baby, I'm broke. I'm she said, let's look over here on this other side, Daddy. <laughs> You see, here's the thing about it is, when you go to God and you say, God, I'm broke. God, I've given you everything in the world. What do you expect me to do? And God says, let's get over in that hidden part. You see, when we don't want to do the will of God, we can come up with 101 excuses. Can't we, gentlemen? It's like my wife when she wants me to take out the garbage. I can come up with 101 excuses why I don't want to take out the garbage. It's raining. It's cold. We don't have enough garbage. There's not enough room in the garbage. I can come up with it. God says, I want you to do this. And we come up with 101 excuses why we can't do it. But you see, God wants us to give Him everything. That's His will. That we empty ourselves for His service. And you see, when we do, we're going to have to let it be filled up with Him. Now, I'm going to tell you what. My idea of the basic food, group, food groups is the bottom pyramid ought to say Mountain Dew and Snickers. <laughs> they perfect food groups. I love a good Mountain Dew and a Snickers bar. As you get older, though, caffeine causes your heart to flutter. And guess what Mountain Dew has? Caffeine. But I found caffeine free. Hallelujah. <laughs> but let me tell you, I come to your house and I come to visit. And I say, they say, Brother Al, we know you love Mountain Dew. Would you like some Mountain Dew? Ma'am, I am absolutely dying of thirst. I'd love a good talk. And you go in there and you look on the counter, on the table where the kids had breakfast that morning. And there's a, one of the glass with about that much milk left in the bottom. And you reach over to the sink and pour it out and fill it full of ice and fill it full of Mountain Dew and set it. This boy don't do floaties. <laughs> I ain't drinking your Mountain Dew. I love you and I love Mountain Dew. But no. And you see, God's like that. He's not going to use a dirty vessel. We want to know what the will of God is. We're going to have to, first of all, clean ourselves up, empty ourselves out, and allow Him to fill us afresh with His Holy Spirit so that He can direct us. Show us the way to go. Show us how to go. But if you look here one more time, you'll see what Paul says at the end. He says the last step, basically, is determination. Notice what he says. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove 
what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word prove there means to try it or to, to, to test it. Do you, do you realize that in the Bible the word test and the word temptation come from the same root word? The difference is the outcome. You see, the devil wants to tempt you to destroy you. But God tests you to prove you, to see what you're really made of. We're like the old boy that goes into a place and he looks at the first guy and he says, I don't like you. He says, you don't? He said, what's your name? He says, Terry. He said, I think I can whoop you. He pulls out a piece of paper and writes his name down. He said, okay, I ain't going to bother you, man. He goes over here and he said, uh, what's your name? He says, Kyle. He says, I think I can whoop you. And he starts to rewrite his name down. Kyle stands up. You know, he's about 6'10", so whatever. I told you, Kyle. 6'5". He's bigger than I am. Meaner than I am. He looks at me and he says, I don't think you can do it. Okay, I'm going to take your name off my list. <laughs> Why? Because he's, he's going to prove me. Make me show what I'm made of. You see, that's the difference. God wants to show us what we're made of. And you think about the will of God, basically comes in three different directions. Number one, there is the ultimate will of God. The ultimate will of God is that every man, every woman, every boy, every girl would come to know the free pardon of sin offered by Jesus Christ. Would have a personal, one-on-one -on -one relationship with Him. That is God's ultimate will. That we follow in His footsteps to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. But, there's also that permissive will of God. The permissive will of God says, I'm going to allow you to do something just to show you can't do it. You say, now God wouldn't do that. Yes, He will. Sometimes we want to run ahead of God, and God doesn't want us to. It's sort of like the dog that chases the Volkswagen. You remember old Marmaduke, the cartoon? Marmaduke's always chasing the Volkswagen. Well, he finally catches it one day, and he looks at it like, okay, I've caught it. What am I going to do with it? You see, you and I are a lot like that sometimes. We're chasing things. We're running after things that's really not in the will of God. God allows us to catch it and we get it. And we're looking at, okay, what do I do with it now? So there, here we are. We have decided that we want something and God's going to allow us just to show us. My second church was an example of that. I felt like God was wanting me to go into full-time ministry. And I ran ahead of God. And God allowed me to have that. That was the most miserable 21 months of my life I have ever been. I laid down on Saturday night that we moved in. My first Sunday is the next Sunday morning. I looked at my wife and I said, baby, we're in the wrong place. She said, you mean tell me we don't have to pick our furniture up and move it over to that other room? Because we'd had a discussion about which should be the master bedroom. <laughs> I said, no, we in the wrong place. We shouldn't even be in this house. She looked at me and said, uh-uh. We just moved all this junk we got. But you know what? 
She can tell you I was miserable. Every time I got in that pulpit, I felt like there's a ball and chain wrapped around my neck. I was never so happy to leave a place in all of my life. But you see, God allowed me to be there to teach me a lesson that next time I follow His footsteps and His will. That leads me to the third thing. God has a personal will for you. He wants you to walk in that will. He wants you to understand that will. He wants you to be conformed to His will and His way so that we will be His people on mission with Him. Now, what is your mission and what is your mission and will? I don't know. But it's different. Some people say, well, you know, so-and-so over here, he's doing this. I'm going to get involved in that. And you know what? That may not be what God wants you to do. So we need to get involved, need to find God's will for our life. How do we do that? Notice what he, go back in what he says. That you may what? Prove. Prove that. How do we do that? Three things real quick in closing. And I got to close because I'm running out. Number one, focus on living and moving with God. Focus on living and moving with God. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says these words. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. In other words, if all we're doing is thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow. If all we're thinking is, how did my pool go at the office for the Super Bowl game? If all we're doing is thinking about, I got three more days to go hunting. Or all I'm doing about is fishing season starts in a few weeks or something. You know, we're not thinking, we're not focusing on the will of God. In order to do that, we've got to stay in the Word of God, stay on our knees in the presence of God, and shut up. Now, we don't like to hear that word. I grew up with that word, but I found out through my kids that's a dirty word. I said something other day. I said, oh, just shut up. My grandkids all go, oh, Mama, Pop said a dirty word. I'm thinking, you didn't live a household with Huey Hoods, huh? That was about every third word sometimes. Shut up. Just shut up. But you know, sometimes when we go to God, we get down on our knees and we start, Oh God, oh God, I need this. Oh God, I want that. Oh God, this. You know, and sometimes I think God's on the other end of the line just saying, Would you just shut up and listen a minute? I had a lady call me one day. Two of her sons were deacons in my church. And she started telling me this. And I tried to explain it to her. She wouldn't listen. She kept saying, interrupting me, interrupting me, interrupting me. I finally, after about 20 minutes, I was headed up to here. And I finally said, Eva, would you just shut up and listen to me? Silence. I said, now, let me explain this. Without, you got five minutes. Do not say a word. I explained it. She said, oh, I understand that. 
Next morning, I got this on Saturday. Next morning, I got to church or Sunday. I thought, Drama told me, said, ah, you're dead. They're going to fire you, boy. I walked in next Sunday morning. One of her brothers, I mean, one of her sons looked at me and said, Preacher, you don't have to tell me shut up. I ain't going to say a word to you. <laughs> and just laughed. He thought it was hoot. He said, I can't believe you told my mama that. And she hadn't run you off. But you see, maybe sometimes we just need to shut up and listen to what God says. But there's a second thing. Look at your Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Not only focus on living and moving with God, but concentrate on the things of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What is it that God's wanting you to do to bring into captivity to give to Him? Is it some minor part of your life that you don't want to give up? Is it some minor part of your mind that you don't want to give up? What is it? We need to concentrate on those things. And then finally, we need to practice being in the presence of God. Why? Because that's where our strength comes from. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31. Most of you can probably quote it. It says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, when, God, when we're in the middle of God's will, God's going to lead us. But wherever God leads... He will provide. That's a tough thing to learn, folks. It's one of the hardest lessons in the world. When I went decided to go into the full-time ministry, I had a home. Didn't live in it. Lived in a church pastor. But I just felt, I mean, I couldn't rent it. People were tearing it up. And there was just something about learning to do without that I, I couldn't grab hold of. That was my safety net. If they fired me this week, I could tell them adios and move back to my house and everybody be happy. Well, it come to a decision. Do I let the house rot down or do I sell it and burn my safety net? And my mother said, well, if it'll make you feel any better, I'll, don't, I'll will you a piece of land. I'll give it to you. So she wrote out a deed for a one-acre land. She said, you can pull your car out there, put your tent up. You have somewhere to live, you can get your trailer up. <laughs> Folks, let me tell you, God stepped in. You know, that, that took away my worries. About six years ago, after about 30 years, mother said, are you ever going to use that acre of land over there? I said, no. She said, well, I'm going to tear that deed up. You ain't got no use for it. But you see, God let me, in my finite mind, He gave me that net that would let me step out. And I had to take that. You know what? I hadn't thought about that land in 20-something years. I hadn't thought of it since you gave it to me. You know why? Because I knew in the back of my mind I had it. But you see, where God leads, He will provide. Amen. Now let me tell you, wrap up real quick. 
Number one, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, let me tell you, you say, well, I, God doesn't have a will for my life. Yes, He does. His will is that you right now in your sinfulness through the conviction of the Holy Spirit come to Jesus, confess your sins admit to God that you're a sinner put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and accept Him as your personal Lord and Savior. That is step number one. You can't know the will of God without having a relationship with Him. If you're here this morning and you say, Preacher, I, I, I've done that. I'm, I know I'm saved. I know without a doubt in my mind. But there's just something there. Maybe God's saying to you, let's clean up the house a little bit. Let's put some things in order, some priorities. Let's get some sins out of our life. Let's clean up that dirty glass before we're going to fill it up again. And maybe you need to come this morning and you need to recommit your life and rededicate your life to the Lord. Confess those things before God and say, God, here's your servant. I'm listening. What do you want to say to me? And it may be this morning you say, Preacher, I'm right where you're at. I'm struggling right now because I'm seeking God's will. And maybe it's time to just cut that safety net. That's tough. Now, I'm not saying God's calling you to ministry. I'm not saying God's calling you to missions. He may be. But maybe God's wanting you to step out by faith where you've never been before. And simply say, okay, with your hand in mine, we're going to walk together side by side. I don't know where I'm going to go. But God, wherever you lead, I'll go. What do you need to do this morning? You think about that as we bow our heads for a word of prayer.